Thank you for downloading this sermon from Trinity Presbyterian Church in Spartanburg, South Carolina. For more information about Trinity, visit our website at www.trinityspartanburg.com. Let's stand for the reading of today's sermon text. We're going to turn to Luke chapter 8, pick up at verse 1 and read through verse 15. grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord stands forever. Soon afterwards, he, Jesus, began going around from one city and village to another, proclaiming and preaching the kingdom of God. Twelve were with him, and also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and sicknesses. Mary, who was called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out, and Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod's steward, and Susanna and many others who were contributing to their support out of their private means. When a large crowd was coming together and those from the various cities were journeying to him, he spoke by way of a parable. The sower went out to sow his seed, and as he sowed, some fell beside the road, and it was trampled underfoot, and the birds of the air ate it up. Other seed fell on rocky soil, and as soon as it grew up, It withered away because it had no moisture. Other seed fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up with it and choked it out. Other seed fell into the good soil and grew up and produced a crop a hundred times as great. As he said these things, he would call out, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. His disciples began questioning him as to what this parable meant, and he said, To you it has been granted to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God, but to the rest it is in parables, so that seeing they may not see and hearing they may not understand. Now the parable is this, the seed is the word of God. Those beside the road are those who have heard, then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they will not believe and be saved. Those on the rocky soil are those who when they hear receive the word with joy And these have no firm roots. They believe for a while, and in time of temptation fall away. The seed which fell among the thorns, these are the ones who have heard, and as they go on their way, they are choked with worries and riches and pleasures of this life, and bring no fruit to maturity. But the seed in the good soil, these are the ones who have heard the word in an honest and good heart, and hold it fast, and bear fruit with perseverance. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we pray now as we feed upon your word inscripturated that, uh, Lord, that you would give us ears that hear. Lord, pray that your word would bring conviction, that it would bring comfort, and Father, that we would receive it in humility. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Be seated. So if we go back to the first few verses of this, which are setting the scene for the parable, but not the parable itself, notice what it says Jesus was doing. He was going from city to city, preaching. That's what Jesus did a lot of. He went from city to city, preaching the kingdom of God. Jesus was a preacher, and he preached in every city or village he came to. The Word of God was preaching the Word of God 
about the kingdom of God. Uh, the apostles would do the same, and so the kingdom of God would spread uh, around this world by means of the word preached. How beautiful, says Scripture, are the feet of those who bring good news of good things. And that is the, the calling of the apostles, the calling of pastors. Um, time is short, and so everywhere Jesus goes, he speaks his word. Ryle, uh, J.C. Ryle, reflecting on the, that statement about Jesus' activity, says, Souls are perishing and time is flying. Let us resolve by God's grace to do something for God's glory before we die. Time is fleeting. Jesus doesn't have much time. He enters into ministry, and for three years he goes around preaching the word and then dies. The opening verses also mention who is traveling with Jesus. Of course, the twelve are there with him. Uh, they, uh, they were men uh, that Jesus had chosen who would go out into, unto the ends of the earth after his departure. Uh, upon the preaching of those apostles except one, the church would be built. In addition to those men, who, there were some women who traveled with them. All these women had been, as it says in verse 2, uh, oppressed by evil spirits. They had had uh, either evil spirits or sicknesses that they had been healed from. Our passage names three women, Mary Magdalene, a demon-possessed woman who was healed by Jesus, Joanna, the wife of a well-connected man, the wife of Chusa, Herod's steward, so he ran Herod's household, and uh, this was his wife. And lastly, a woman named Susanna. So it appears that these women, uh, particularly the latter two, were supporting the ministry of Jesus and the apostles out of their private means, out of their private funds, right, out of their wealth. This probably means that they were risking their reputations and leaving behind an unbelieving family in order to serve Jesus. They had to count the cost, and they had counted the cost, and were going to follow Jesus. And so they stand to us an example, as an example of those who understood what Jesus uh, was teaching when he said, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or farms for my sake and for the gospel's sake, but that he would receive a hundred times as much now in the present age house and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and farms, along with persecutions and in the age to come, eternal life. You know, I've seen many people unwilling to give up family for Jesus. I mean, that just, this is not my sermon. But, but I'm going to preach this for a few minutes. People will not give up their family to follow Jesus. People think that they shouldn't have to give up their family to follow Jesus, right? People think that they, they are owed the closeness of their family and good relations with their family and that Jesus would be a cruel master if he were to say, no, no, give those things up if they're going to take you away from me. That's what Jesus says. He says it in so many ways, but he says it most explicitly in that passage I just shared. And so if you're caught in limbo between being dedicated to God and being dedicated to your, 
your family who hates Jesus, you're in terrible sin. And you need to repent. You need to serve Jesus and leave behind every single person in your family that would keep you from worshiping Jesus Christ. That's what needs to happen. That's what the Son of God calls you to. And so these women, these women, and think of the position of women in Jerusalem at this time, right? Things would have been very difficult for them to break away from their Uh, their households, their homes, their husbands, and that's what they had done. They had left behind, I mean, think of Herod's steward. Being married to Herod's steward, the the man who ran Herod's Herod's estate. And she's like, no, give me Jesus. I'm going to follow Jesus. That is significant here. And a beautiful example to us. So, you know, if you have a crazy mom who thinks that you're a fanatic because you love Jesus, it is your calling to leave her behind and serve Jesus and never feel any tension there. So the faith of these women in following Jesus and the apostles and and the fact that they're supplying their needs Uh, financially stands as a testimony to the cost of discipleship. They had been healed, and now they had a new teacher, and they would serve him and love him and his apostles by caring for their needs. They were going to be mothers to the apostles and the followers of Christ now, and they were going to provide for what they needed. Now we turn to the next section of the passage. We read here a parable that is likely, uh, you know, quite familiar to many of us. I think if you've never um, spent time in a church or you've never read scripture, you probably know this, this parable just culturally, um, this parable of the sower. Jesus spoke this parable when there was, as the passage says, a large crowd gathered from multiple cities, and he preached by telling a parable. First of all, why did Jesus preach in parables? Why did he preach in parables? It is good to remind ourselves of this. In Matthew chapter 13, the apostles ask him that very question, and it's a while between the time when he tells and then explains the parable of the sower. They ask, why why do you speak to them in parables? And Jesus answers them and says, as he says here, to you it has been granted to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been granted. For whoever has to him more shall be given, and he will have abundance, but whoever does not have, even what he has shall be taken away from him. Therefore I speak to them in parables, because while seeing they do not see, and while hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. If their case, you know, In their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is being fulfilled, which says, you will keep on hearing, but you will not understand. You will keep on seeing, but will not perceive. For the heart of this people has become dull, With ears they scarcely hear, and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise, they would see with their eyes, hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and return, and I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes, because they see, and your ears, because they hear. For truly I say to you that many prophets and righteous men desired to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. And so that, in short form, is what 
Jesus tells the disciples in verse 9 and 10 of our passage in Luke. We get a, a shortened form here. And, but it's very intense what he says in Matthew, isn't it? He's, he's vamping on this idea that some have been given ears to hear and some have not been given ears to hear. Some have been given eyes to see and to not see. And, and that is reality. So what he's saying, he, he taught in parables so that some would be left scratching their heads. He taught in parables so that some would not understand. He taught in parables so that, he, he, so that Isaiah's prophecy would be fulfilled about the dullness of their hearts. But think of that. He, he, he preached in parables so that he would not be understood by certain people. Those to whom it has been granted to know the mysteries of the kingdom, will understand, but those to whom it has not been granted, the parables were meant to further confound them. It was to stifle them. It was to confuse them. Notice what it says in verse 8, after the parable is stated, as he said these things, he would call out, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Well, everybody had ears, right? Yes, physical ears. Everybody had perhaps physical ears that worked. Maybe there were some that didn't. Um, They had eardrums. But not all of them had spiritual ears, right? Not all of them could hear what he was saying and what he was meaning. You know, one must be given ears to hear and And one is born with those when? In the second birth, right? The second birth gives you new ears. Bring that regeneration. Without such new ears, one does not hear. Without those new ears, one doesn't ever hear the word of God. The Apostle John puts it this way in his letter to the church, and we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true. The Son of God has come and he has given us understanding. Right? If we are not given understanding, we by nature treat the words of Jesus like run-of-the-mill words. The words of Jesus are comparable to the words of Muhammad. They're comparable to the words of Nietzsche. They're comparable to the words of, of X-Men comic books. If we have not been given understanding. If we have not been given understanding, the words of Scripture are made to be mocked. They are terrible and dumb. They are, they are unable to be believed. Right? They're, they're outlandish, we would say. Because the mind set on the flesh is hostile toward God, for it does not subject itself to the law of God, for it is not even able to do so. Right? The mind set on the flesh, the mind that hasn't been rebirthed in the regeneration, is not even able right, to submit to the law, to understand anything of the word. But let's not be overwhelmed by this. It is the... or bothered by this, it is the overwhelming testimony of Scripture. God is sovereign. If his spirit does not give new birth, a man will never, ever have ears to hear. Full stop. 
And one way or the other, that man will be happy with what he has, right? He will be quite happy not to hear. This does not mean that we don't plead with people and preach to people and share with our neighbors and intentionally strike up conversations with strangers. No, we are called to do that, but we see what we see in this parable, all of that sowing is going to fall on different kinds of soils. Some will have ears to hear, some will not, but you have no control over what kind of hearing somebody has. You are simply called to speak of Jesus, to sow the seeds of the word, and as you sow, expect that your sowing will produce different results. You're never going to bat a thousand if you share the gospel. That word will go out depending on God's will. It will produce radically different reactions in different people. And Jesus explains this in verses 11 through 15. Sometimes when the word of God is sown, it is like a seed that falls on soil beside the road. It is a seed that has no soil to grow in. The ground is just too hard there. And Jesus says that when the word of God is sown, it will sometimes be quickly snatched away by the devil so that they will not believe and be saved. Some will respond to the word of God with quick unbelief. Nope, not for me. That is foolishness that I could never believe. Have you ever sown the word of God to somebody like that? That just instantly mocks it. Devil comes right along quickly, takes away any impact that that word would have. Sometimes when the word of God is, is sown, it is like a seed that falls on rocky soil. The soil is the kind of ground that does not allow the seed to take root. And so Jesus, when, when the word of God is sown, it will sometimes be received with joy. It will be believed for a while, but then will be rejected for some other thing. Some alternative, some sinful delight. Now, have you sown the word of God to someone who reacted to it like that? Right? They realize, man, this is, this is a serious... They may have recognized it. They may have, you know, been interested. It's not like the quick dismissal, but they may have been interested, but then they started doing the, the calculation that this was going to be pretty difficult. This is going to be costly. Sometimes when the word of God is sown, it is like a seed that falls among thorns. This is the kind of ground that does not allow seed to grow to maturity. So there's some growth, but it can't grow up to maturity. Jesus says when the word of God is sown, it will sometimes be heard, but rejected when, the, when worries arise and when riches tempt and when pleasures come in conflict with it. Have you sown the word of God to someone who reacted to it like that? Right, you think of the, the rich young man. The word of God came to the rich young ruler and he was told, go sell all that you have. And he, said, and he went away grieved because he was one who owned much land, much property. Right, that's an example of this kind of situation. Sometimes when the word of God is sown, it's like a seed that falls on good soil. This is the kind of ground that allows the seed to grow up to maturity and bear good fruit. Jesus says when the word of God is sown, it will sometimes be heard and believed and received in an honest and good heart, he says. In an honest and good heart. Well, that's only been made honest and good 
by the work of the Spirit within it, birthing it anew and changing it from a heart of stone to a heart of flesh. There's work that happens prior to that receiving of the Word of God by the Spirit that makes it receptive to the Word of God. And so there will be at that point, if there's regeneration and new birth and a new heart and God has initiated the work of of making that person a Christian, then there will be no rejection. There will be acceptance of that word and there will be fruits that comes and they'll bear tons of fruits and they will persevere right up until the end. And so these are the four examples of how people react to the hearing of God's word. Some hear and don't believe. Some hear and believe something for some time and fall away during temptation. Some hear and believe something for a time and have the word choked out by the cares and pleasures of this life. And some hear, believe, hold it fast, and bear fruit with perseverance. Now this is the point in the sermon where I'm supposed to say something like, so what kind of soil are you? Right? What kind of soil are you? Now, as I think about it, that's not a good question. What kind of soil I am, what kind of soil you are, what kind of soil anybody else is, is only known over the course of time and ultimately at the end of time. Determining what kind of soil you are is like determining what kind of heart you have. And what God has said, you know, what has God said about that? He says that man can't see the heart, only he can. Speaking to Samuel about Saul who was rejected, God says, do not look at his appearance or at the height of his stature because I have rejected him for God sees not as man sees for man looks at the outward appearance but the Lord looks at the heart. And so only God knows ultimately what kind of soil we correspond to, each of us individually. He knows everyone who has ever been created intimately in that respect. In every respect. But there is some indication of the quality of the soil, and that is determined by this question, what is your response to the Word of God? What is your response to the Word of God? Now, this is where you have to, you know, not play church. This is where you have to actually go back and think about your life and think about the past week and think about the past month and the past years How have you responded specifically to the preaching of the Word, to private reading of the Word, to the Word of God that you've read in theology books? How have you responded to the Word of God? For real. Not theoretically. So first of all, I want to reiterate the point I made before. Our job, particularly the The job of a preacher is to sow the word faithfully. Sow it faithfully. Sow it it as much as he can. All of us are called to share the word faithfully, and we can expect that there will be different ways that the word is heard. Jesus said there will, will be many responses, and we should expect to see all those responses. But think of the proportion laid out in this scripture. Think of the proportion. Now, this is not what we commonly think about. John Owen, writing in his book, The Glory of Christ, says this. 
in the distribution made by our Lord Jesus Christ of the hearers of the word into four sorts of ground, it was but one of them that received real benefit thereby. And if our congregations are no better than were his hearers, there is not above one-fourth part of them that will be saved, and it may be far less. Preachers aren't supposed to say that today, right? That's that old Puritan stuff, right? But it's the Word of God. Many are called and few are chosen. Ryle puts it, says something, the same, says the same thing, puts it rather starkly. He says, this passage was meant to be a warning to the apostles not to expect too much from hearers. It was meant to be a warning to all ministers of the gospel not to look for too great results from sermons. <laughs> so depressing. Isn't it? It's so depressing, but it's so true. It's depressing because it's the reality of the response to the preaching of the Word of God. In my experience. You see, in moving away from a biblical view of the sovereignty of God and salvation, and moving away from a biblical view of the regeneration by God's Spirit, we take such statements as Owen said and what Ryle said as betrayals of the gospel. Why is that? Because we think that if we present the gospel in a winsome way, if we present the word in a way that pleases the ear, if we present the word in a way that resonates with people's screen time that they have, you know, six hours a day of, if we do things in worship that will, will you know, amplify the, the, the intensity of the Word of God, maybe with movies and pictures and, and modern technology, and it wasn't just the sinful guy getting up in the pulpit every Sunday to, to um, say things. Well, we think if we present the gospel in some non-offensive way, we will save thousands. Thousands. The churches will be packed. Right? And we do see some packed churches, and they do peddle the word of God like that by adding to it movies and tricks and optics and... and preaching things that aren't found in the Word of God. I think we believe we, uh, at times, we are the Holy Spirit, right? If we just reason with people, if we just tap into their felt needs, if we just say the right things, it's like magic. The people are going to believe. How could they possibly resist my winsome personality? Right? How could they possibly resist my, my $100 haircut and $700 suit? which I don't have. It's pretty clear. I mean, I mean, I'm missing the top button right here. On purpose. <laughs> you know, I mean, we think like this. We think it's magic, but we think it's magic that we possess. If I say things in such a way that, get, that people get it, if I say things in such a way where people understand and resonate with it, then they'll believe, and they'll believe to the end. But that is not what this parable teaches. 
That is not what this parable teaches. It is teaching that one must have ears to hear. The ears must change, not the word of the Lord and, and not the um, winsomeness of the one delivering it, right? The passage is about how someone hears the word, not about how someone speaks the word. The word is sown, the word is preached, and how it is received depends upon the hearing of the hearers. And this is why Paul said that he did not have to preach with cleverness, right? Paul was not a good speaker. He admits it in his own letters that he was not very, very good speaker. Well, he knew this parable. He didn't have to adulterate the word. He didn't have to be superior in speech. He did not have to be a gifted communicator. He just had to be faithful to preach what good deposit he had been given by God. The response depended upon the ears of the hearer. The response to the word has to do with good ears. And if God unstops those ears, then they will hear. But if he does not unstop those ears, no matter how many sermons they listen to, no matter how handsome the pastor is, they will never, never hear, ever. So I want to keep this sermon about sowing the word. This is the parable of the sower, not the parable of the soils. Don't be surprised if someone rejects the word or believes only for a short time and then flames out or believes for a while, but the cares of the world come along and choke out that person's faith. Jesus said that would happen. Jesus is a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. He was then, he is now. You will share God's word. And there will be many different hearers, many different responses, and unless God builds the house, the builders labor in vain. Unless God gives new birth, new understanding, and a new will and life from death, unless he changes the will of a man or a woman, you should expect to see one of the first three responses to the word of God being sown. The pastoral ministry would be very difficult in fact, if the Word of God didn't contain this parable. Any ministry, any sharing the gospel would be very difficult if the Word of God didn't contain this parable. We might begin to think, as many think today, that the gospel has failed because it has been rejected. Not so. Jesus is telling us to expect it, just as he is telling us to expect that some seed some seed will fall on good soil. Some will hear, some will believe, some. Not all who hear, not all who are, uh, are called, but the, only those who are chosen. So dear brothers and sisters, this should make you thankful. Oh, so thankful that you, if you do this, hear the word of God and believe and produce fruit with perseverance. That should make you thankful. Right? This is not the common course of man. This is not the common course of people. This is the magnificent grace of God that has plucked us out of the pit and set us up on a high place. This should encourage you in your witness. You, you are to go out into the world to share the gospel with all so that they may, so that you may find the one who believes. There is good among the depraved, wicked, sin-sick, dead people of this world. 
It's our calling to share the word that we might be the means of God bringing life out of death, life out of that death. So what kind of soil are you? I don't know. God knows. But you must be careful about what kind of hearer of God's word you are. Those who have ears to hear will be careful of the devil when he when we hear the word of God, we'll be anticipating that the devil will want to take this word and this promise and this good thing and this rebuke away from us. We will know that there is someone who wishes to snatch away the word as it is sown. Those who have ears to hear will come to understand that those emotional and intense spiritual vibes are not the slow but intense burn of persevering faith. Right? You, you will understand that faith must persevere, a slow burn of persevering. And it's not just these intense emotional highs. We'll be skeptical of our spiritual highs, seeking for the regularity of a persevering faith. Those who have ears to hear will come to know the dangers of the cares of the world, the, care, the, the desires of the flesh, and they will fight against the flesh. We will guard ourselves against the, the thousand things that in and of themselves are not always bad. Jobs, family, money, entertainment. Yet we will know that when any of those things encroaches upon our glorious Savior, Jesus Christ, as they will with all of us at many times, we intend to put them down. We intend to fight them back. Ultimately, for those with ears to hear, the hearing of God's word will be gloriously fruitful. It will be their meditation day and night. It will be um, that man's meat. It will be his delight that he clings to. And though there may be times when he wonders about what kind of soil he is because he's given himself over to some sin or God has withdrawn his presence to a certain extent, the Word of God will always lead him back through repentance. Through repentance. His life will be one of the bearing of fruit with perseverance. In his commentary, Ryle writes this exhortation. He says, we should say to ourselves, as we read this parable, this concerns me. My heart is to be seen in this parable. I too am here. I too am here. It is right that we should contemplate the effect that the word of God has upon our hearts. Do you hear and dismiss the word? You don't believe it. Do you read it? And it's just like, no, that's, no. Do you hear the word but leave it behind and go after what tempts you, right? There's just a competition with you continually between the word of God and pornography. And one is is better to you. Do you, do you hear it? Hear the word of God, but the cares of this life and the pleasures of this life choke out the knowledge of it, right? The cares of this life. Are you a worrier? Any worriers in here? Right? That can choke out the effect of the word of God in your life when you worry. Because worry is unbelief, right? Worry is thinking that you don't have a God who loves you intensely and cares for you. That's what worry is. Worry is thinking you're all alone. 
and that can choke out God's speech to you? Or do you hear and believe? Do you hear and read the Word of God and you're like, yes, 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 yes. I claim that promise. I claim that promise. I let that Scripture wound me and I'm going to keep coming back for more. When the, word of, when the Word of God is preached, honestly, think about this. Do you, A, think the doctrines are ridiculous? B, do you prefer your greed or vanity or pride to its message? C, do you go away overwhelmed by the ups and downs of this life so much so that it, the Word of God just isn't the drug you're looking for. Or D, do you believe it, cling to it, obey it, follow it, set to study it so that you can, you can then teach somebody else the joy that you have in having this Word? Which is it for you? This passage is a caution from God that you must respond to it properly and those in whom God is working will respond properly. So examine yourself in relation to how you hear God's word. What kind of inner dialogue do you have going on even this morning as you hear me preach God's word? What is your inner dialogue? What sort of things are you saying to yourself when the preacher exhorts you? Perhaps you don't have any inner dialogue. <laughs> Honey, what are you thinking about? Nothing. Women always ask their husbands what they're thinking about, and husbands always want to say, well, nothing. Probably not true. But some, some will hear the glorious words of God and just have no inner dialogue, no inner response. It's just boredom that is set in. Perhaps, though, you've prayed that God would give you ears to hear, and now you love what God is saying to you through the word preached. Right? Let's pray that it is that latter and that it is always that, that you, that is always your response. But know this, there's a fight that is going on. This passage makes that very clear. The devil wants to pluck away the word. The first joyful feelings the word of God made in you when you were young in the faith are no longer there and you think that has to do something with the word and not just the stupidity of your emotions. The responsibilities you bear in this life and her power structures are just more immediate and they're more profound to you than the word of God. And, and so the word has become like just a, a throwaway child's book. The word just doesn't produce in you any sort of response, whether it be one of tearful repentance, of joyful wonder, or love toward God. Well, welcome to the fight of faith. Welcome to the fight of faith, right? Battle against those common temptations those temptations that are common to man, and fix your hope upon Jesus Christ, who is the Word of God Himself. Hear it, believe it, respond to it always and every day. Right? Always and every day this parable is being played out with you. And yet it grieves me to say that some of you will never be given ears to hear by God. you will fall into one of the first three categories. 
This will be indicated by how you relate to God's word. Others, though, will receive the word of God and steadily, day by day, feast on it and believe it and love God by their obedience to it. And so all of you should cry out to God that he would give you such a faithful heart. Unlike much of humanity going after this or that latest fad, you will taste and see that the Lord is good by living on every word that proceeds out of his mouth. There is only one class of hearers which is right in the sight of God. Do you, do we, belong to that one class? 